Hi there, I'm Dr. Trevor Cates. Welcome to the Spa Doctor Podcast. Today we're talking about how to rebuild your health with a functional medicine approach. My guest is Dr. Robert Zembrowski. He's also known as Dr. Z. He's author of the book, Rebuild. He also specializes in functional medicine as a clinical nutritionist, board certified chiropractic neurologist with 24 years of experience in rebuilding people from chronic health issues back to excellent health. Dr. Z is the founder of Cancer Victor Protocol and director of the Darien Center for Functional Medicine in Darien, Connecticut. Because of his personal experience overcoming disease, his path led his practice deep into the methods of functional medicine, understanding root mechanisms of disease, nutrition, biochemistry, neurology, exercise and physiology, and has inspired him to create for his patients unique personalized protocols. In this interview, Dr. Z shares his story and his five steps to move from diagnosis to recovery and rebuild your health. So please enjoy this interview. Dr. Z, it's so great to have you on my podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I want you to start off by sharing your story because I know you've been seeing patients for a while, but you also have a personal journey that has kind of led you on a, a slightly different path, right? Quite a, quite a bit. Um, the journey that I am now on helping people rebuild themselves from disease basically stems from my own journey through disease. So to make a long story, hopefully super short, about um, uh, there was a period of time where I had an avalanche of stress fall upon me. And just like a lot of people do when there's a lot of stress there, my, my world imploded, it fell apart. I wasn't taking care of myself. I was drinking excessive alcohol to fall asleep. I got into the, the, the habit of eating quick foods because I was on the go. And my typical MO years ago was to, to hold things in. So I had a drug addict stealing from me. She was stealing from insurance companies. Uh, my relationship fell apart all at once. I had major renovations happening in my house. And literally when all that smoke cleared two years later, I'm looking at an x-ray with a radiologist when he said you have a five inch tumor in your chest. So the, the, the preceding things that led up to that were major stress. As you know, like an unhelpful lifestyle, I stopped taking care of myself. And in the midst of that, I was still seeing patients. So I had to dive into um, seven months of chemotherapy. I had four weeks of radiation and then I pushed and, and, and I'm pretty uh, adamant about telling people that they have to be an advocate for themselves. So I pushed the surgeon to cut my chest open to remove this lymphoma, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, this five inch tumor in my chest uh, in a procedure they say they've never done before. So my world turned upside down. I received a diagnosis, I became a patient, and then that took me on a whole new journey. Yeah, absolutely. And um, thank you for sharing that. I know sometimes it's hard to share stories that where we know that we've made mistakes and we didn't do the right thing, especially as a doctor. I can only imagine how, you know, that's kind of hard to, to go through that and then to, to be able to share that with people. But we're human, right? And things happen. And, and I think people can definitely relate to your story because we are stressed. A lot of us are stressed. And I mean, we all are really. And uh, it's easy to get into some bad habits and sleep, sleep habits, stress management, eating, and, and other kind of destructive things like drinking and 
and using that and uh and not a healthy way right so so it's 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 i thank you for sharing that and but you you experience this in a way that then has been able to help other people right so you've learned a lot along the way of of how to overcome what what happened for you right exactly you know and, and i say you a diagnosis doesn't have to be your destiny or a diagnosis isn't your destiny it's not you can either use a diagnosis of a, of a life depleting condition or a life threatening condition as an anchor or you can take it to a direction to help others or inspire others or teach others and so i went on to the route of writing a book filming or filming a documentary changing my practice over where we we focused on the past a lot on neurology and, and nutrition, but functional medicine is where I ended up because it was really that methodology that allowed me to dig deep to understand why I developed the disease. And so as I did the research while I was going through chemo or as I was going through cancer care, I developed a plan to rebuild myself back to excellent health because when I went to my doctors, when I got done, they said to me, there's nothing we can do, you know, eat, eat, eat well and, and exercise. And I was like, wow, that's pretty profound. So I dove into the research. I created a plan that restored my health back to excellence, which then took me on my new journey to where I am today. Again, writing, rebuild, filming a documentary. And you can choose a diagnosis to take you down or to, to, to pivot your lifestyle choices into a direction that, that's closer to your wellness goals. And I think people need to understand. It's like if you're diagnosed with a health issue and you ask yourself the question, now what? Now what do you do? You know, and so I'm really looking to educate, inspire, as you are doing with with um, with your profession and what you're doing. So, I think there's a lot to be said about um, having a personal journey that that takes you into a direction that that hopefully can inspire others. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what are some of the key things that you find are are really helpful? And I mean, first of all, I think the first step, like you said, is realizing that you're the one that you know, each individual is the one that has the biggest interest in their own health and that it's important to take charge of your own health. So I think that's really key. That, so that's sort of the first step. But what are you, what are you, what are some of the key things that you found along the way that you think are so essential for people to start incorporating? So I think the first thing that people should realize is, believe it or not, disease or chronic health issues are self-inflicted. Nobody wants to hear that, but the reality is, as you said before, based on People fall into those unhelpful lifestyles and the bad habits, and they, they cheat on their diet. They drink too much alcohol. I mean, people are vaping now. It's pretty crazy. But I think that one of the most important things that I learned through my journey was, one, health issues, chronic health issues and disease are self-inflicted. And I think the other part is you have to be your own advocate through whatever it is. You can't put your trust into one person or somebody that poo-poo's, you know, nutrition or supplementation or nutraceuticals. So I think the big things that I learned through my research and rebuilding myself and countless others was that there's basically five steps that I found to be the most impactful for people to rebuild themselves, if you will. One, I say eat for your genes. One, nutrition is information that modifies the way your body works. It's not just about taste. It's not just about macros and carbs and so forth. You're eating nutrients or information that regulates your genetic function. If you disrespect your genes, it creates disease. If you honor your genes, you create great health. Change your perspective. Like number two, change your perspective of your stressors. 
So stress is a perception. It, somebody buys a car, I said, hey, hey Dr. Cates, jump in my car, let's take a ride. Somebody hits us, I, I panic because I just bought a new car. You say, hey Rob, it's just a car. So it's perspective that people really need to understand as far as their environment and the stressors. Number two, there's all kinds of, number three, there's all kinds of different exercises. And again, as I say, ex exercise or move with intensity, like high intensity interval training, it really is the most profound and effective way to rebuild and reverse chronic health issues. It's been proven through physiology research, you name it. So exercising with intensity. You have to reduce contamination, which I know you're all about that as far as skincare products, where you, you can take toxic things on the skin. If progesterone is absorbed through skin through bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, if you will, why wouldn't some, something else, a synthetic, actually be absorbed into the skin, into the system, that then you have to tend with? So when we tell people to reduce contamination, it's getting rid of bread, dairy, sugar. Uh, stop smearing your skin full of you know, <laughs> glow-in-the-dark toxic things. And the last thing would be is, and again, I used to think sleep was a waste of time. I was like, oh, I gotta get to the office, it's a waste of time. If I can get four hours, I can get more productive. The reality is if you lose, the reality is and the research says that if you lose just two hours of sleep a night, you increase your risk for all the serious diseases. I don't think people are aware of that and sleep is that momentary coma that we control, all, delete ourselves to repair ourselves. So I think there's really five big things that people can take and use to really make an impact in their health. Yeah, I'm sorry. I love all five of those. I want to kind of go through some of this, but information a little bit, digger, dig a little bit deeper. Because one of the things I've been hearing lately with sleep is that uh, there are people that are, you know, maybe biohackers. I'm not saying this about all biohackers, but or people that are entrepreneurs and that are trying to fit a lot in in a day. And they're saying, you know what, I don't really actually need sleep like other people. I'm, I'm, I'm great with it. I can, I figured out a way to biohack in a way that minimizes the amount of sleep I need. And, and I'm like, huh, that's really interesting. So what do you think about people that are saying there? I mean, I see, I hear this. I mean, I think people have been saying, knowing that sleep is important for our health. But then lately I've seen this sort of trend with entrepreneurs saying, oh, I don't need to sleep because I figured out a way to biohack this. Um, I can take supplements, I can eat differently, and I just don't need to get that sleep. Is there really anything that replaces sleep though? There is, listen, you could take every supplement on the planet. You're not gonna have the rejuvenation that sleep provides you. So you can't, there's no supplement that you're gonna boost growth hormone without sleep. There's no real supplement that's going to, well, you can reduce inflammation with anti-inflammatories, right? But the reality is even just, even just a loss of two hours of sleep a night is enough to increase inflammation. And inflammation is that nasty thing from the immune system that can create a major war of disease in the body. And people don't realize that if you don't sleep, you're going to create systemic inflammation, and that's been proven. So, if biohackers are saying, "I'm just going to, I'm going to override this," there's no way you can do that because there's, it's inherent to our our genome. It's inherent to us as humans that we need to sleep in order to repair ourselves in multiple ways: to repair the immune system, to regulate our hormones, to get estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone levels normalized through sleep, through growth hormone. So there is absolutely no, I'm sorry, guys, there's absolutely no way you're going to cheat the system without a good night's sleep. There's no way to do it. Yeah. 
So what is the right amount of sleep? And what about also the, not just the quantity of sleep, but the quality of sleep, right? So <clears throat> the data does show that your typical seven to eight hours is what you want to get. Now, some people, maybe genetically, in, uh, genetically unique individuals can slide by with, with maybe a little more, a little less. But again, it's the cardinal rule of thumb is seven to eight. Yeah. And I think people need to strive for that. And this is also the age of blue lights. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty myself working on an iPad, writing you know, letters or articles, and you're on the computer till 11 o'clock. I'm like, what are we doing? This is blue light. Right, and even if you do that, and the biohackers think that they can get by that, you're going to shut off melatonin with blue light, and it's going to mess up your sleep cycle. Melatonin is also going to, if it's not abundant enough in the system, you're going to suppress your immune system. So you really need seven to eight. Right. With a question. And so the blue light you're saying, and for people who aren't familiar with that, that comes from all of the electronics, TVs, and TV uh, computer monitors, and phones, and yep, tablets, and, uh, tablets, and um, yeah, all the different devices. Uh, it, I I kind of wish people would get back to reading books, like physical books, rather than all the different ways that we um, we you know look at and read things. It's nice to get back to actually physical paper, especially at bedtime. I think we we do get too much exposure, and I know I get caught up in it too because there's so many so much of our interaction today and our work is revolved around electronics. But having some time to take a break right before before bedtime. And a lot of people will say, "I'll sleep online," or "I'll." I'll I mean, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll read through a Kindle, through an iPhone, or I'll read, but it's not the same. I mean, these devices, uh, Dr. Kate, so they actually have changes in the frequency, so you can adjust the blue light before bed. I mean, there's actually on your iPhone, on your, on your tablet, you can do that. So I agree, and what better sleep aid than, than a good book? Right, I know. <laughs> a long day. Yeah. Yeah. And quality, of course, quality of sleep is important too. If people are trying to set up seven to eight hours of sleep at night, but yeah, they're waking up every few hours. That that's something too. It's, it's going to, you're not going to still get the same kind of benefits, right? Absolutely. Right. Right. So any, any sleep tips on helping people get that quality of sleep? Because it is something I hear often is people, yeah, it's easy to say, get, get a good night's sleep, but it's not always easy for people and besides yeah. the electronics. Yeah. And I, I agree. And we hear it all the time. And people ask when we see them clinically, well, how do I get a better night's sleep? I'm not sleeping well. And so we look at men, women, we look at ages. And so the first thing I ask or that I would inquire about or with someone is, Let's discuss hormones for a second. So let's say somebody is really low in their progesterone. You're not gonna sleep well. No matter what you do, progesterone is one of those hormones that knock you out, give you a good night's sleep. So we try to find, one, what's causing the sleep loss. If it's not family, your kid's keeping you up, your dog's licking your face, your cat's walking all over you, that kind of thing. But there's certain things to do. As we instruct or teach people, don't eat foods that increase your energy and cortisol and insulin at night, right? All your refined carbs, dairy products with uh, tyramine in it. Those can actually increase, uh, and L-tyrosine, those can actually increase your energy and then people wonder why they can't fall asleep. And so a lot of the foods that we eat cause a problem with sleep. And let's not forget alcohol. Everybody says, well, what about alcohol? And so alcohol, although it's a depressant, can also disrupt the sleep cycle. So we tell people, shut the lights off. Make sure there's no blue light in the room. 
try to be, keep the room as dark as possible. Make sure you're comfortable. As you said, read before bed because it's actually a decent sleep aid. I wouldn't read a, a murder mystery or, you know, a, a slaughter fest <laughs> book because that may wind you up and get you all fired up as far as cortisol being elevated. And I think one of the big things that I can speak from experience, cortisol is one of those things that you have to get cortisol in check. So if you had a fight with your spouse or your kids or something happened at school, work, business, you really have to change your perception of it. In other words, change the way you think about it so your cortisol levels drop. That will also help you get a good night's sleep. And so I think there's a bunch of kind of cool tips and lifestyle and habit changes people can, can incorporate to, to get a better night's sleep. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. I appreciate that. I do think it's it's so important to get to the root cause. And like you said, uh, some of the hormonal imbalances, stress and situational things going on in people's lives, like figure out what the root cause is and, and address that. Don't just try and take a bunch of melatonin or a bunch of herbs that, that make you sleepy. Just trying to figure out what is the cause, what's holding you back. And, and those things can be helpful, but a lot, I see a lot of people say, oh, well, I can't sleep. So I'm taking a bunch of melatonin and I'm trying the, you know, the, these, these herbs and take, drinking these teas and they're not making me sleep. And it's so important to address these root causes like you were talking about. And you always have to ask why, always yeah. ask why. Yeah. And so one of the things that helps with sleep is exercise, right? So that was one of the other of the five things that you mentioned. And you mentioned HIT uh, or high intensity training, interval training. Um, so can you explain a little bit more about why that is so beneficial? What do, what's happening there? And, and why is that? Why do you find that that kind of exercise in particular is so powerful? So I think m most people know that exercising is beneficial for our life, our health, longevity. We get that. But if you look at the two exercises, if you break it down, there's maybe endurance exercising, aerobic exercising, which is the same intensity or, or the moderate intensity over a period of time. High intensity is where the biochemical magic happens. So the research and data shows that anything with an explosive movement, like a sprinter, not that you have to sprint, but we're using that as an example, it's the explosion of the body and all that muscle contraction. Um, contracting uh, uh, that, that happens when when somebody bursts off a line or they pull up a heavy weight the magic happens then and so it's the intensity of the movement that creates immune enhancement regulation of insulin in your blood sugar it really is the the exercise to incorporate for any reason for 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 any health issue whether it's a chronic life depleting condition or a disease if you're not impaired or disabled it's one of those exercises that really make a difference. And when we look at high intensity interval training, it's the hormonal things that happen too. So you get a little burst of cortisol and then it comes back down. The data shows that those that exercise excessively for long periods of time have elevated cortisol levels. And again, it's almost defeating the purpose of the exercise. So if you were to compare a sprinter that's really high intensity, who's practicing high intensity interval training, over somebody who's a marathon runner, I mean, look at the difference in the body type. It's almost like, and I'm not putting that down if that's what you choose to do as far as an exercise, but just be aware that you're, you're cannibalizing your muscle tissue with too much exercise. High intensity interval training doesn't do that because you explode and you, re you rest. You explode and you rest. And so the benefit too is the long-term effects of high-intensity interval training 
and that explosive movement is far greater than the long-term effects of cardio or, or endurance training. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Thank you for explaining that and for sharing that. And um, I, yeah, I think that my feeling about marathons and, and those sorts of activities is it's almost like it, it's more, it's not really a physical improvement. It's more of people at an achievement, like a self-achievement thing. If you have a goal of, I really want to be able to run, do this marathon or this triathlon or this this Ironman, you know, or something along those lines, if that's a goal that helps you feel like you've achieved more in life and that you're able to set a goal and achieve it, I think that that's great. But I, I think that you have to actually support the body even more because I don't think that that kind of exercise is actually going to do a lot of benefits for the body and actually can be harmful if you don't do it properly. So people that do have those goals, I think it's still good for them to do it, but realizing they need to continue to support their body, realize you're actually adding an additional stress to your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. And some of the, those endurance junkies, even the athletes that we see here, why do you hear someone running on the sidewalk and, and, and dying or, or passing away, right? The data shows too much exercise can cause the right ventricle of the heart to become bigger, hypertrophy, and that's a danger. Mm -hmm. But that won't happen with high-intensity interval training. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as long as they're doing, doing the exercise programs right. Yeah, absolutely. So now, Dr. Z, you also you created a something really interesting is called the Cancer Victor Protocol. Yes. Can you explain what that is and what, what led you to create that? So <clears throat> while I was going through chemotherapy, the first round was pretty toxic, and I didn't know what I – I didn't know then what I know now that that saying, but the second round, because the cancer wasn't really eradicated to begin with, when, as I was deep into the research, I wanted to know if I could make the chemotherapy more effective. If the principle of chemotherapy is oxidative stress, or some of them are antibiotics, or some of them are what's called alkylating agents, and they have a, a certain function in the body to destroy cancer cells, what could I do, or what could I take to improve that therapeutic response of the drugs. So again, I dove into the research from all the top oncology clinicians out there and they all kept saying the same thing, that using guided nutraceuticals or supplements during chemotherapy would protect you from toxicity and it would enhance the therapeutic effect of chemotherapy. So I went through all the chemotherapy drugs all the people that we were seeing with different type of cancers from breast to colon and so forth, prostate, understanding what the chemotherapy did, then we devised a protocol, what I call the Cancer Victor Protocol, which is really a parallel set of steps that enhances the, the function of chemotherapy without interrupting what it's supposed to do and reduces toxicity. And it's worked incredibly well for everybody that we've, we've used it with. So it's really a parallel set of steps more nutraceuticals and supplements and nutrition based to enhance the chemotherapy and reduce toxicity. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I hear you saying that this is not to be used instead of going to an oncologist. This is, uh, this is something that would supplement or that you can use in addition to uh, conventional cancer treatment. Absolutely. Look, crisis care is needed, whether it's cancer, it's heart disease, it's an autoimmune issue. Like we need that crisis care intervention. And if we're talking about cancer, I would never tell someone not to seek an oncologist or get proper treatment for their diagnosis, whatever that may be. However, there are steps people can take to 
get them through the cancer care, and hopefully finish their, their regimen so they have better outcomes, basically, and less toxicity. The number one reason why people stop going through cancer care is the toxicity and peripheral neuropathies, you know, that buzzing in the fingers. And a lot of that's prevented just even with nutrition. An anti-inflammatory diet, healthful, you know, nutraceuticals guided to enhance the, the chemotherapy. Right. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. That, that's fantastic. And um, how, are, how are you finding doctors receiving this information? Um, what have you heard back from your patients as far as how, how other doctors have, have, have they been open to it? Are they resistant? So great question. It's a mixed bag. You know, so some of the old school guys and gals are like, ah, you know, don't ever take a supplement while you're going through chemotherapy. And the reality is that was a rumor started in the 70s. So there's no, there's no major research. What they were doing is, to, end, to, get, to, your, to get to your question, is the, the, what they were showing was that chemotherapy was affected at the time of the infusion. They were, they were also infusing high-dose nutrients at the time of the infusion, not the day of, I mean, not the day before and not the day after was the day of. So to answer your question, many doctors are pretty receptive because as I work with Joe London, as I work with tons of other people, they, they were just, they're astounded by it saying, what are you doing? We don't understand why you're doing so well with the most toxic things. Other people, other doctors will poo-poo it and say, don't do that. You shouldn't take anything. Just, you know, eat tons of calories to keep your weight up. And other people call and say, what, what are you doing? We need to know this. So it's, it's really just, it's mixed, and I, and I hope we're, we're going into the direction where more doctors, as they've written the research on supplements and chemotherapy, embrace this in their practices. Yeah, I, and I wanted to ask that because I don't want people to, see, to, to be taking your information, sharing it with their oncologist, and then getting frustrated because there, are, there, there definitely is a divide on that, and some are, embrace it and some kind of still resist it. So hopefully, like you said, that, that we're going to see that change and, and that because like you said, there's so many symptoms that come along with conventional cancer treatment that can be alleviated with the use of um, some, some more natural substances and support that, uh, that conventional medicine just can't provide. And so I think it's really about using both to help support people. And, and really, it's not just cancer. It's, it's all chronic disease and illness that we, we can be able to use this truly integrative approach and to use the best of both worlds and come together. And I think it's important for people that are seeking healthcare to look at who can be part of their team and what are the different what are the different ways that they can find that support and the information that they're looking for and people that are are that have experienced the right training and education and experience to be able to provide that support because there's also a lot of information online people go to Dr. Google, you know, yeah. just go on to, you know, go online and ask a bunch of questions and think they can do it by themselves or they find an online, um, you know, website and think that this, you know, this health coach is going to be all the, the answers for them. But it takes, it, it takes a whole, and I'm, I mean, I think there's some great health coaches out there. I'm not saying that, but really, especially with people with, with chronic disease, something like cancer, we need a we need a like a whole support team a lot of times to help us get through through the chronic disease issues. Now, without question, and I tell people that if somebody on your, one of the doctors on your team is not willing to work with the other team, firing fire him or her and get somebody new. Seriously, this is it's it's your health, not theirs. 
And so it's that push for personal advocacy. And, and I, I completely agree. I mean, I think we have to have a team approach to doing this. Dr. Google is confusing. And it, it, you know what's wonderful about it, though, is how nice is it when you see patients and they're educated on something? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And they come in and they say, hey, doc, what about this? And will this help? And I don't agree with this. And it's like, wow, they're doing a lot of work that maybe we, we don't have to, you know. So it's pretty wonderful. People become their own experts in their own health challenges, right? Because they're kind of forced to do that. So I, I agree. I think it's wonderful people are educated, but yeah, it's important for people to still be their own advocates. Mm -hmm. Be their own advocates and have the right resources and tools to and support along the way, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And what are some of the tools and resources that you have available to people? So regarding a book regarding my practice both yeah all of it and you said you mentioned a documentary too so the resources obviously are just as a specialist in functional medicine if you will we have a you know our clinic is in darien connecticut so we uh we do a lot of long distance kind of rebuilding people and uh, uh the, the resource is actually me that's the number one resource <laughs> here kind of thing right Right. <laughs> and then the second thing is for people living in medical deserts, for people that don't have access to, to maybe proper health care, they don't know how to ask the right questions of their doctors, they don't know the right steps, they don't know the nutritional guidelines and their boundaries, if you will, to help rebuild themselves from a chronic issue, I've written Rebuild. And again, I, I think that if for those who are seeking for something that's not just a piece of literature where I translate information from one source to another. It, it's really a, it's, it's a personal guide that allows people to create a, a plan unique to their health issues. So there's also rebuild the book. And again, it's, it's, it comes from my personal experience and, and I wrote it. So others who are suffering have a roadmap, roadmap back to excellent health. We have a newsletter that we send out. I try to not just give you what's fresh in the news and what's hot and uh, fun in the news, but really tips and tools for people to overcome their health challenges. So um, I hope that answers your question, but. Uh, yeah, it's always good, you know, with my podcast, I'm always trying to help people be able to explore all the different options so that people have available reliable resources and that's why I have guests come on so I always want to know what are you offering people what do you have out there and so it's great that you have this book rebuild and and people can what, get that on your website on Amazon where do people find that yes yeah, so people can order order rebuild on my website it's uh, dr. it's you they can order it from Harper wave they can order from Amazon odd books and all the other online retail spots and people always ask, you know, is there something else that, that I can give as a gift? And I guess uh, as a gift for anybody listening or, or people interested, there's a couple things. There's a, a newsletter that, that people can download, not a newsletter, I'm sorry, for if you decide that you want the monthly newsletter, there is an ebook on how to get rid of fatigue and increase energy for, for increase your energy and end and fatigue for good. And certainly there's a logbook. And the logbook I wrote as a companion to rebuild. So people have a place to journal and write down what they eat, how they emotionally feel every day, and their progress. I'm all about objective tests. I want to see what we're saying is working, right? And so people can have their pre and post medical tests and blood work 
so they could record that. So it's just, it's a gift for them to, to really stay focused on their journey. Okay, excellent. And we'll have all the links up to, to your information below your podcast interview on my website too. So Dr. Z, thank you so much for your information today, for coming on and, and sharing your personal story and what, what you've been able to do to help others. Yeah, my pleasure. I appreciate the time. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this interview today with Dr. Z. To learn more about him and his book, you can go to thespotdoctor.com, go to the podcast page with his interview, and you'll find all the information and links there. And while you're there, I invite you to join the Spot Doctor community so you don't miss any of your upcoming shows. Also, you can go to theskinquiz.com to get a customized skin report. Find out what messages your skin is trying to tell you about your health, about the root causes behind it, and what you can do about it. Just go to theskinquiz.com. Also, I invite you to join me on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Pinterest, and join the conversation there. And I'll see you next time on the Spot Doctor Podcast.